And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to The Athletic Baseball Show. It is our live 2023 trade deadline special. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you. Rich Roley joining us here in just a bit. Lots of ground to cover. We're going to talk about the trades kind of going back to last week. Everything that's a part of this window is included in today's show. But, you know, we're going to begin with Tuesday's moves. And we're going to begin with the biggest trade, perhaps, of this entire window. Justin Verlander going back to the Houston Astros. Obviously, there's a great fit, great need. It made a lot of sense for Verlander to go right back to a place he's spent time in recent years. He has not looked like the same guy that we have seen in these later stages of his career up to this point this season. Does Verlander have some adjustments he can make over the final two months plus that can get him back to the Cy Young levels we've grown accustomed to? I do think so. I mean, first of all, he was the starter with the best stuff, at least by Stuff Plus, that was moved at the deadline. So I, I think, you know, he was the best pitcher, starting pitcher moved at the deadline. I know that the strikeouts haven't quite been there for him, but he also still has a top 10 slider. It's It hasn't changed that much shape or movement. It's the same as it's ever been. I think the one thing that he's done is stepped up off of that slider a little bit because of how the league is hitting sliders. And so, you know, I think that there's been an adjustment there. Maybe he'll adjust back and get more strikeouts and, and focus on the whiffs. You know that Houston is where he really unlocked the best strikeout rates of his career. That's where he sat above 30% uh, in strikeout rate for the first time in his career, uh, even at that older age. So uh, I know that it's not the same pitching coach there anymore. I know he's not exactly the same stuff, but I still think he was the best starting pitcher turn at the deadline. And I do think some of those whiffs are going to come back. Yeah, I'm still pretty optimistic. Results have been better than the underlying numbers would suggest to this point, but still a lot in the tank for Verlander. Just a, a huge lift for the Astros. They were among the teams that needed to get an impact starter. We did learn just before the deadline, just before 6 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday, that Dylan Cease will not be traded. We're always watching the news right after the deadline because sometimes trades were agreed to. We find out about them 15, maybe 30 minutes after the deadline. In this case, we're not going to see that for Dylan Cease, according to multiple sources. We did get a very late deal for Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty heads to the Orioles. You and I have talked about this situation. It just seems like he's a pending free agent, the Cardinals have been unable to both keep Jack Flaherty healthy and get him back to the early seasons or the early career success he was having. It made some sense for them to go ahead and, and move on from him because if they get him the qualifying offer, keep him for one more year, how are things going to be different in 2024? What do you think Flaherty brings to the Orioles over the rest of the season? I don't know. I saw his uh, shoulder as described as slow roasted. 
and uh, I don't know exactly uh, what shape he's in. I mean, he made a big deal about reporters asking about his fastball velo, but I just looked, and in the games, the four games this season that Jack Flaherty has averaged above 94 miles an hour in his fastball, he's given up five earned runs in 25 innings. So that's pretty good. You know, if they get that version of Jack Flaherty, then they did well. Uh, unfortunately, there's all those other games he pitched and the fact that he hasn't hit 94 since he was at Miami uh, earlier in July. The last three starts, 92-7, 93-1, 92-3. I wonder if they could do something where they said, you know, hey, we're going to throw you four innings. Can you throw 94 for four innings? And uh, wonder if they can coax the most out of him. I mean, they have a pretty good bullpen. It's a pretty deep bullpen. They have other starters. They're just running out of innings. So what if some of those guys that were running out of innings, what if Tyler Wells comes back and and sort of in, in some sort of tandem with Jack Flaherty? I think it was good they got an arm. I would have to say that this did not get me off, uh, did not get the Orioles off the biggest loser list for me at this deadline. I think this was a bad uh, reading of the market and not... Uh, a great way to take advantage of one of the best Baltimore teams we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I think the the big thing with the Orioles that we have talked about on our shows throughout the season is that because they have so much major league ready talent around the infield, especially they have been positioned to sort of break through and trade for a pitcher with years of control left. They have the kinds of players teams would actually want if they were going to. They could have been a player for Dylan Cease, you know. Right. And if, even if it wasn't Cease, even if it was someone that we haven't speculated as much Scherzer about as on the move, they could have gone that route too, especially when you consider how much of uh, the remaining contract the Mets ended up picking up with both of those players anyway. Yeah. And uh, I think that's kind of brilliant on the, the Mets part. I mean, yes, it's $90 million that the Mets have spent uh, on Verlander and Scherzer to pitch for another team in the future. That is a really big number. But in terms of what prospects are valued at, uh, the prospects that they got back, I don't think it's that far off. I think they basically bought themselves into what will be next year an upper half uh, farm system. Um, so I, I, I really like what they did, uh, even though it's going to cost them a lot of money. Yeah, it seems like the Orioles are botching their deadline, an opinion shared uh, by JL on the stream just now. That is uh, a take that a lot of folks have right now, because especially in the AL East, as good as this team's going to be for a long time, it's competitive every year, right? All it takes is a couple of key injuries, and suddenly you're at the bottom of the division. You're not a playoff team. Any year where you can be a playoff team coming out of that division, you should take full advantage, push more chips in. The future is still very bright. Even the rest of this season is still very bright for the Orioles, but I can understand that disappointment. Maybe they're a year ahead of schedule, but you could have got someone other than Flaherty who would be around for that long-term future as well. A lot's going to fall now on Grayson Rodriguez. Getting him to pitch really well down the stretch is going to be important. You know, Maybe D.L. Hall in more of a bullpen role eventually comes back. He's making some progress, but the internal upgrades, that was not 
That was not at all what Orioles fans were hoping for at this trade deadline. Uh, One of their big note from Tuesday, Eduardo Rodriguez used his no-trade clause to nix a deal to the Dodgers. He is not going anywhere, according to multiple reports as well. So there's not another team swooping in to possibly make a deal for him. So that was one other starter that we thought could be moved. A note about that one. You know, I've seen some people say, oh, they're going to, you know, other teams that might sign Eduardo Rodriguez are going to know that he uh, nixed a deal to a contender and take that into account when they sign him into the deal. I, I think that's unfair. Don't give the player, don't give the player the power of the opt out and then judge them for it. Whatever reason he's got. We've heard some former players say he wants to be close to his family. We know he had some sort of family type emergency this year. Like why are we going to say from the outside that this is because he didn't want to compete? What? No, I, I'm not. I'm not going to assume that. I'm going to assume that he had a legitimate reason, and he had the power to do it, and he's allowed to do it. So, kudos to Eduardo Rodriguez for you know doing what he wanted to do that was best for him. Uh, and too bad for the Dodgers because, you know, I don't want to put them uh, in the same category as the Orioles, but I will have to. And, and and I also think you know it's unfair to say that the Dodgers have brought on. Um, only players that had a negative war this year. You know, they, <laughs> if you add up the players, they actually they all lost production uh, for their teams this year. I don't think that's unfair because I don't I don't think that's fair because you project players and they don't necessarily project those guys to be negative. It's all about what they'll do in the future, not what they did in you know the immediate past. But I also think the Dodgers did not do much. You know, they they were content with uh, little moves around the side. And then again, the Giants did nothing. There were a few teams that did nothing, at least up until now, but I just saw a new trade come across, seeing it confirmed by Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Saw Jeff Passan from ESPN put this one out there. Josh Bell is actually on the move, so we'll get the details on that trade. As soon as they got Commonsardo, right? Right. As soon as the Guardians made that addition, made sense to try and find a way. We'll get the details on that here in the next few minutes. And it looks like uh, Garrett Cooper is going to be on the move for the Marlins, so a lot of parts... Again, this is the the fun part of the trade deadline is sometimes you get each puzzle piece of the deal stretched (laughs) out while you're trying to talk about other things that have already happened. And you talked about the possibility of this being a dud deadline. I think this is a pretty solid deadline overall. If this was all condensed down into one day, it would feel a lot different. But we've had this kind of rolling now for about a week. You know, we had the moves last week that the Angels made, adding Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. They made a couple trades even before that. So you look at some of these these deals that didn't happen today, Scherzer over the weekend. I think all in all, this is at least an average, if not an above average no. trade deadline, just in terms of the players moved. Disagree. I love it when we disagree. <laughs> we disagree rarely, Twitter. but disagree. Oh, uh, yeah, Britt Brit wants to be let in. Let her let her talk. I'll, I'll go after her. <laughs> I, I was good listening to this until Derek said it was a good deadline. And then I was yeah. like, <laughs> it's not even done yet. The deadline has passed, but we're still learning about trades. So yes. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Well, you're not going to get a blockbuster at this time. It would take too long for the league to approve. You're yeah, only going to get deals true. like this. The Dodgers have traded Phil Bickford and Adam Flair to the Mets. <laughs> For, and it doesn't even say there's a return. What I'm saying is that's well, a waiver claim, dude. So, yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, waiver exactly. claim. a waiver claim. <laughs> that ain't no trade. I don't think this was a blockbuster by any means, Derek, because to me, I wanted like someone to deal an arm, like a Dylan Cease or Seattle to deal some of their young starters to make it like a really exciting deadline. This just felt like 15 minutes to the deadline. 
all like there are a bunch of things that haven't happened yet. Like the Orioles getting Jack Flaherty for me is a big meh, right? Like exactly. Thank you. You know, I just crushed them in a trade grade, but like, like really, that's the best you could do. Erod Nix is a trade to the Dodgers. Like it was just like a, a total meh deadline. For me. Speaking like, of waiver claims, the Giants got AJ Pollock, who they probably could have waiver claimed if they just waited two days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just. To me, like Jack Flaherty probably could have made it through some waivers. Like he, like I got four horse for ERA. <laughs> he's good. He's part I of the see you playing with that cry on. If it was God. so good, Derek, then to answer me this: Where is Mookie Betts? Where is yeah. Manny Machado? Where yes. was an actual position player worth no his one. salt that was traded? No what one. was the best position player traded this deadline? Jake Berger. That, that was kind of Jamer unexpected. Candelario. That was unexpected. That was kind yeah. of fun. I like that one. Jamer <laughs> Candelario. Yeah, yeah, maybe. There just wasn't a whole lot of pizzazz. And like, yeah, I think most people knew that Verlander was going to get traded the second Scherzer got traded. Yeah, I mean, the Mets were the Mets were probably the biggest surprise. Yeah, without yes. the Mets, it would have been the biggest, biggest dud. dud of all time. <laughs> exactly. And also, there wasn't a whole lot of intrigue in Verlander. I, I saw these names getting thrown up. He had to literally, thank you, he had to literally agree to a team, and it was always just going to be Houston. So, like, all these other names getting thrown in, just just to get thrown in there, right? The most exciting part of the deadline was the Otani rumors, and obviously those were quashed, and he never got moved. This was a dud deadline. <laughs> hey, a let's get... total give, dud. Do we give an A to the Angels, then? I mean, in retrospect... The Angels are winners. Aggressive, winners. went out and got multiple parts, got bats, got arms. I mean... I kind of like what they did next to everybody else. Yeah. They even got Dominic Leone today. Hey, there we go. More bullpen help. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because their playoff odds, which we talked about when they first dealt for Giolito and Ronald Lopez, still sit right around 20%, depending on the numbers you look at. They they have more reasons from that regard to have been sellers, and yet they're pushing chips in and, and going for it, which has everything to do with Otani and where they're at and not wanting to waste this season because Otani seems like he's going to be gone. Seems like the general consensus is that people agree with you two that the dud, the deadline was a dud. I think it's like New Year's Eve. Expectations got to be kept in check. If your expectations are too high, you're going to be disappointed by New Year's Eve and you're going to be disappointed by the trade deadline. I think if we go back a month, we weren't expecting Verlander and Scherzer to go. I think we're, we're treating that as something that was this automatic, this is going to happen, and it wasn't like that because for a while it seemed like they couldn't have gone anywhere, but the Mets' willingness to eat money, that actually opened up some interesting possibilities. So we'll see what those guys do with their new clubs. That's a huge part of it. What do you think about Tommy Pham going to the Diamondbacks of all places? I mean, you know, I don't I didn't look at that team and say they need another outfielder. Tommy Pham's a nice player to add, but what do you make of that decision? I think it mostly has to do with the fact that uh, Alex Thomas has not been a positive against lefties, um, and Jake McCarthy is a lefty as well. Um, and though Corbin Carroll is in the lineup every day um, and is a, a total star MVP level stud, uh, I don't think Alex Thomas and Jake McCarthy are. So uh, just another sort of caddy uh, to to play. Uh, maybe you put Guriel in the outfield and Fam at DH or uh, against lefties. Um, I, I just think it's, a, it's another righty bat that's going to help them uh, platoon better. Uh, he doesn't pitch, 
And uh, as much as I like the Paul Seawald acquisition for the D-backs, they went and traded Andrew Chafin afterwards. So I'm not saying it's an even. Seawald is much better than Chafin. But they're still kind of weak in the bullpen. And I kind of expected them, like this Dominic Leone trade to the to the Angels is something that I would have expected the, the Diamondbacks to do, is add another reliever, non-closer, rental-type reliever that wouldn't cost much. Um, and instead they sent Andrew Chafin packing. So I like... Getting Tommy Pham as a righty bat uh, gives them some outfield depth, and I like uh, getting Paul Seawald, but they gave up a lot for Paul Seawald, and they didn't add anything else to that bullpen. So I would I don't know what the grade is, a B-minus or something. I like the activity. I like what they've done, but you know they gave up a, a major league regular for Paul Seawald. I think Dominic Canzoni is a major league regular as much as I think there are questions about the other two guys in that deal. There's Yeah, there's a couple more trades coming in, I think. Uh, the Marlins get Ryan Weathers from the Padres for Garrett Cooper. Yeah, I okay. think get the Garrett Cooper trade. Nice. Weathers tried as much as he could to change his pitch shapes, but it just wasn't working. Maybe it'll work in relief. The Dodgers get Ryan Yarbo from the Royals. So they're kind of trickling in. And the Red Sox got <laughs> Luis Urias. Went from Eduardo Rodriguez to Ryan Yarbo. <laughs> <laughs> and the Red Sox are getting Luis Urias from the Brewers, according to Robert Murray at Fansighted. Yeah, what's the uh, Urias return? I'm interested in that one. That's interesting. Yeah, I wondered if they were going to do something with Urias just because things are getting a little more crowded with some of the depth moves the Brewers made, of course, previously getting Mark Canha and Does that mean Carlos Tyler Santana. Tyler Black gets a chance in the, in the big leagues this year? Yeah, that'd be pretty fun. We'll see if we get the actual return while we're still on stream here in a bit. But uh, I just saw the trade between the Marlins and Guardians. Final deal here appears to be Josh Bell going to the Marlins. <laughs> Gene Segura and Khalil Watson going well, to Cleveland. Khalil hey, Watson is fun. not a Cleveland prospect. Like no, by, but it's fun. It's it's, it's, a, it's a shot in the dark, and it may never work out. But it is fun, and it's different for them. And I like it because I think for them, Josh Bill was almost a millstone. I mean, I don't think it's a total millstone. He can still be productive. But for $16 million with Manzardo and Josh Naylor, they didn't need another first baseman. So they, I think they squiggled out of this one. I think that was, that was a, like a pretty good one, two punch. I'll give Cleveland like a, like an a minus maybe for this, this deadline. I mean, it was, it was pretty good. I think, you know, I, it is a little bit weird to sell Aaron Savali in the middle of a pennant, like a divisional race. What do you what do you think about the Guardians? I mean, they 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 are still in it for first place in their division, but they're like a 500 team. I know it's the threading the needle, buying and selling at the same time, but I kind of like it. I think it's appropriate based on the type of team they are, because when you think about Cleveland, when you think about the flaws a playoff team can have, not being able to hit enough against playoff pitching is a real problem. They've had this problem for multiple seasons. So trying to get better in the long run without getting worse in the short term makes sense. I think pitching has always been their strength. We're seeing that young pitching already with Savale. They're able to cash in and get a guy that I think is going to hit a lot. Kyle Manzardo. Kyle Manzardo may be the best hitter that got traded among all the minor league players that got moved at this deadline. So we could look back yeah, at this two uh, or three years from now and say they got a middle third of the order bat. For a guy in Aaron Savale, who's had some difficulty staying healthy, but for that organization in particular, was more replaceable than he was for a lot of other clubs. Yeah, I mean, the three best prospects are Manzardo, Luis Angel Acuna, and Drew Gilbert, Don Canzoni. Yeah. Somewhere in there. What else? We did, we did a top four today. Canzone, I think, is just very likely to be 
at least High in the short term, a decent ceiling. major league hitter. Yeah. Don't know if he's ever going to make an all-star team or anything like that, but he can be a regular for a contending club. I, what did you think about the Jake Berger trade? Jake Berger goes to the Marlins, who need thump, makes some sense. and Replaces Jake, Segura, I guess. <laughs> and Jake Eater comes back the other way. He's a pitching prospect coming off Tommy John. We checked in on him earlier in the year. The velo wasn't all the way back yet, but I kind of like that as a, a good trade for both sides. Like We talked about the Logan O'Hoppy-Brandon Marsh swap this time last year at the deadline. I like trades like this, where you look at it and say, okay, this actually makes sense. Both teams got something they needed. It could actually be a win-win sort of outcome. Marlins have the second worst isolated slugging in the big leagues this year, and it's not that all that park. It's something that I had a discussion with Ken Rosenthal once about a piece he was doing, and I said, "Well, it must be hard to develop hitting in that park." But the if you actually look at uh, the baseball savant park factors, they are not. Um, as a park, the worst park in the big leagues anymore. They are not even on the level of uh, San Francisco or even a St. Louis uh, where they've been in the past. The Marlins this year is a three-year park factor, 25th. So it's not the easiest place to hit, but it's not like the Mariners uh, or the Rays or the A's. You know, it's a it's a little bit easier than those places. Um, and you can you it is a, is one of the tougher places to hit a homer. But you still need to put a team together that can slug. I mean, even though it's hard to hit at home, you have ro- road games as well. And on this team, really, the only the only players that are slugging um, are you know uh, Jorge Soler. Uh, and Jesus Sanchez. So, you know, I think Jazz Chisholm can do it, but uh, adding Berger, who already has 25 homers, he he jumps right into the team lead with Jorge Soler, gives him another slugger. It's something they needed. I know Berger strikes out. I know this is the team that wanted to make more contact this year, but I think you got to do both. You got to make contact and you got to hit for power. You can't you can't do one all of one or all of the other. Yeah, I think if Jake Berger can find a way to whittle that strikeout rate down even to the high 20% range, the projections you see are are very attainable. I mean, this is a guy, the Bat X has Berger for the rest of the season at 257, 318, 509. That's a really nice power bat to get for a pitcher that you weren't really going to rely on at all this year in the case of Eater, but someone that the White Sox could probably turn around and use in their rotation in 2024 as they go through their rebuild. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Chris on the stream wants to know, did the Phillies do anything? They actually got a starting pitcher. Michael Lorenzen, kind of one of your sleeper pitchers at this deadline, you know, ended up with the Phillies. 
Yeah, it was a little bit of a weird deadline for the Phillies because they, you know, had said that they weren't necessarily in on a starter. But I think Lorenzen is the kind of staff glue that does uh, work either as a starter or reliever. Maybe he pushes Christopher Sanchez back to the bullpen. Maybe uh, Christopher Sanchez pushes him back to the bullpen. Either way, you know, with him, Matt Strom, um, and, and Christopher Sanchez, you've got three guys who can go multiple innings, and that's going to be helpful no matter what you call your starting rotation. They also then made a trade of Bailey Falter for Rodolfo Castro, uh, which is, uh, I think, a little bit of a strange move. I like Pittsburgh's deadline uh, generally, um, but they've they've fallen out of love with Rodolfo Castro, and that was a switch hitter there that they weren't letting pit, uh, hit against righties this year. I even asked their manager in a scrum, what's, what's the plan for Rodolfo Castro? And he's like, I have to tell you, honestly, he needs to be able to hit righties to get in the lineup more. That's, that's just what we're looking for. Right now, he has a 33 WRC plus against righties, meaning he's 70% worse than league average against righties. It just hasn't clicked. So I guess the Phillies will probably use him as a versus lefties guy uh, and maybe hopefully develop that other side that, that, that Pittsburgh couldn't quite get to. So I just saw another other trade go by here, Britt. I wanted to ask you about Scott this Barland. one. I was wondering when he was going to move. Did this just, just happen? Yeah, just in the last couple minutes, it looks like that one's a, a Jeff Passan report. We don't know the return just yet. The Padres sort of played the quiet, let's try to get better and let's see if the guys that have underperformed can just get really hot for the final two they, months. Which, they bought by not selling too. I mean, yeah, they, right. Like they didn't. They didn't do the thing where they sold yeah. and tried to add. They didn't play the middle. They just kind of quietly added a few things. And you know, I, I think that actually makes a lot of sense given how pot committed they were. Rich Hill, Scott Barlow, some lefties. Did they get a bat? Barlow, too? Yeah, Barlow I, is righty out of the pen. I kind of like what oh, they Barlow's did. Already. Yeah. So yeah, Britt, how do you feel about this this Padres uh, group overall? This group of acquisitions from this deadline. I feel like they did a good job. I mean, honestly, guys, um, you look at this team, and if they weren't going to dismantle it, then they had to kind of improve it. And as much as A.J. Preller, like, in his bones, wants to make a blockbuster, um, to me, looking at these smaller moves and kind of improving on the fringes of the roster, which is basically what they did. When you look at Choi, their OPS, I think, out of that DH first baseball is like 29, so they got better there. That's Choi's job, yeah. Uh, Yeah, Rich Hill, like... When you look at, he's the oldest starter in baseball, but he gives them rotational depth, right? And he's been a guy who he's kind of been kind of dependable over his career. Obviously, to pitch that deep into, uh, you know, into your forties, you need to be dependable. Yeah, they're waiting on Michael Walker, so you know they're, they, you know, they they got a they got a guy for a couple starts, and maybe he goes to the pen after. Yeah, so I feel like you know that these to me are like kind of big, big moves. Not big moves, but there's like stuff that's going to help that tertiary a little bit because they already have their big stars, right? It's kind of in high demand. I'm curious what their return was. They they kind of dipped their toe in some of the bigger names, but really weren't able to get anything done. You guys mentioned Lorenzen before I came back in. I think the Tigers have to be one of the losers of this trade deadline, right? They get an okay guy, like a light-hitting infielder from the Phillies, who weren't even really rumored to be in on Lorenzen until the end. So clearly they didn't have that much interest. Then Eduardo Rodriguez doesn't get dealt. So to me, they're one of the teams that you're like, wow, was a real chance to improve there, and they kind of just whiffed. Which team were you talking about that whiffed? The Tigers. 
the the Tigers are, are tricky because Eduardo Rodriguez has an opt out at the end of the season. Yeah, I think that's. I think trading players with opt outs. They have tough. a bunch of relievers. Did they trade the? They have a like. Assist, uh, they have a bunch of relievers that they didn't yeah, trade either. Yeah, Lang, Cisnero. Haven't seen any of those guys mentioned in trades yeah. yet. And now we're almost thirty minutes past the actual deadline, but still a few few things could trickle in. So we'll see if anything else uh, comes across. I was wondering if we could look at the winners of this deadline. Now that we've got most of the information, probably 95% of what's happened has been reported at this point. We'll start with you. You know, Who do you think did well among the contenders? Who actually did the most good to their roster in this window? Amazingly, it, it's a team that I didn't have as a contender. I, you know, when I was doing uh, a piece on, on, on who, you know, smaller deals that contenders could make. I took the, the top 10 projected uh, win totals. And in those top 10 teams, the Angels weren't in them. <laughs> the, the Angels weren't a top 10 team. And so I didn't give the Angels anything, and they went out and got a whole bunch. So, I mean, I, I have to think that, you know, being aggressive and not only, not only getting the top end, they didn't just stop there. Like the, like I said, this Dominic Leone trade, I love that because they needed a bullpen, you know. And you know, in Ronaldo Lopez and Dominic Leone, they're they're making that a much more robust bullpen. They now have three really good relievers for the back end, <clears throat> maybe more, uh, but really that's their A bullpen. Uh, they have a lineup that's a representative lineup now with C.J. Crone and Randall Grichuk, um, and I really feel like this is one of the more complete teams that I've seen the Angels be. Um, and I just unfortunately think that if they get the gold medal, I think probably the silver medal goes to the Rangers. And that's a difficult one for the Angels because they own a lot of one games already on the Angels, the Rangers do. And so when you start with 60 wins and then add what you do uh, that the Rangers did, um, I think that you, you know, even though the Rangers got the silver medal, maybe it's kind of the gold once you can, once you think of the fact that they already had 60 wins when they started that whole process. I, I think it's pretty amazing when you look at the impact of the players that were moved, how much of the that talent ended up going to the AL West. I mean, each of those top three teams in that division added a good starter. I mean, between Verlander, going back to Houston, Scherzer ending up in Texas, and Giolito going to the Angels. And I do think the the thing people keep getting back to with the Angels is that their prospects, the guys they traded away, are not necessarily long-term stars. The guy that people seem to like the most in the scouting world is Edgar Carroll because he's such a young catcher, could be you know, a very good player in time. But ultimately, they didn't give up consensus elite prospects at all to get better. And that's well worth doing given the overall state of the organization. But I'm with you. They went out and addressed the needs. They didn't just make one deal. They made several and it started a few weeks ago. So uh, I think they would be among the winners here. Who do you think uh, fits this description, Britt? Who else are among the most improved buyers? I agree that. And I have to give the Astros credit because yeah, they only, you know, they didn't make a ton of deals, but anytime you can add Justin Verlander, the way he's pitching and especially because, you know, they didn't have the system that other teams did, right? But because Verlander wanted to go back to Houston, they were able to get the deal done. And the deal isn't a bad deal in terms of the Mets are getting back like two highly touted guys for them. They're also eating a ton of money. So if you look at what Houston is paying Justin Verlander and the fact that their system has been kind of decimated, so top prospects in Houston, um, a little bit of a lighter load than, say, top prospects in Baltimore um, or, you know, the Dodgers, some of these other systems, I think you have to, really look and, you know, mention Texas, like 
I mean, we're talking about the angels, like the AL, like that whole division is just, just like crazy. And I think you have to give the Astros credit for going out and getting it done when a lot of people were like, yeah, I don't, still don't think it could work. You know, it, you know, Verlander wanted to go there and so they made it happen. So I think they deserve a, a good amount of credit here. I think the Padres um, made enough moves like that they got better as well. Now, are, are they going to be able to kind of like vibe for that all West? No, but all they have to do is get into the wild card. And then all the records are even. So, you know, they're kind of lurkers in my mind. They made a bunch of deals that, as I said, are kind of like, you know, nothing is a huge blockbuster, but I think that they're kind of a team to watch here for sure. I kept waiting for more moves from the Diamondbacks. I, I liked they went out and got yeah. a closer. I, I like Paul Seawald as one of the best relievers that ended up being available. But unless we get reports of something else, Tommy Pham, of course, does add depth to the lineup. I, I just thought they were another trade away especially in the rotation, trying to stabilize that group I thought was going to be really important for them as they try and find their way back into the postseason. When I look at the NL teams in general, it's a little harder for me to find the clear-cut winners. The Phillies getting Lorenzen, that's a nice add. I think the Marlins, they did a lot to get better. It wasn't just David Robertson. It wasn't just Jake Berger. It was J it was Josh Bell, too. And if they can get if they can get Josh Bell to be the player that projections suggest he'll be, that ends up being a pretty big boost to their lineup. So I, I don't know. I, I think the NL, I mean, is is balanced as the NL is right now. I don't know if anybody did a ton to get better, even though several teams are a bit better than they were just a week ago. Yeah, to me, there were some disappointing teams, right? Like, I think you kind of look at, you look at this and like, I thought there were going to be a little bit more blockbuster wise, I think. I thought maybe the Orioles were going to do a little bit more. I think the Yankees, like if you're going to be buyers, be buyers. If you're going to be sellers, be sellers. Um, but they just did these like tiny things. Also, did the Red Sox do anything besides that? The Luis Arias. Did the Red Sox do anything besides that deal right at the end? Yeah. They, they traded it, a, right? like a double-edged uh, pitcher for Luis Arias, yeah. Yeah, traded away yeah, Kike Hernandez it, right? last okay. week, but yeah, nothing. But that was almost yeah. a waiver claim too, yeah. dude. We keep listing these things that are waiver claims. I mean, Enrique Hernandez was just about to be DFA'd. Log I mean, says the trade. Yes. It says trade. It does it say does. trade on the blog. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was like a like. So there were like I feel like some disappointments. Uh, how are we feeling about um, the Braves? That's another team that I thought were going to get a big time starter, one of the bigger names. You kept hearing about it, and they didn't. On one hand, on the other, is there a team more positioned to win their division? Like how much more do they need to do? I mean, they're they're going to be fine. Yes, I do think that like, uh, yeah, they don't need a play. They don't need a starter to get to the playoffs, right? Like they're kind of they can say we're kind of kind of in. And in the playoffs, are you going to do better on the market than Morton, Strider, and Freed, who are your playoff starters? I don't. I'm not sure that you will. So, you know, they claim Yanni Chirinos, they traded for Pierce Johnson, and they traded for Nicky Lopez. They did kind of the Dodgers thing, which is, we're not going to pay much, and we're not going to get much. <laughs> and we're just going to make the yeah. team a little better around the edges and, uh, you know, shore up the, the worst case scenarios and stuff like that. So uh, I, I, I get it because it ended up being a little expensive. I mean, Carrero was one of the better prospects traded. It was for two rentals. It was pr pretty good two rentals. Um, but, you know, on, on the upper end of like 
what was traded. And I, and I just, the, the Dodgers and the Braves were like, we don't want to trade anyone who's a borderline top 50 prospect or, or, you know, anybody that's a top 75 prospect. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't trade anyone who's a top 75 prospect on anybody's list. But I, you know, I kind of think that Alex Anthopoulos who went and got a whole new outfield, the last trade deadline where he went and won it all. I kind of thought he would get, you know, a lefty bat for, you know, the outfield. And I thought he would get another bullpen arm. I I just I get it. I get why the Giants didn't do anything. I understand it, but it does, I don't want to give them a medal for it. I want to give them a I want to give them a D for it. I'm going to give them D's. Yeah, you know who else? The Twins. Yeah, I think the two central teams in particular that I thought were going to be active that weren't were the Twins on the AL side and the Reds on the NL side. Like what what happened? Like why as exciting as this yeah. Reds team is? Why didn't they go out and, and make a move with so many young players who haven't even debuted yet to trade from, too? Is it a little bit like the Baltimore situation where they just they didn't line up? Maybe we'll see some bigger trades from them this winter, which certainly doesn't make fans happy now, but it maybe gives them more teams to work with down the road. You never know. Like, I'm not going to cry poor for anybody, but, you know, even with the money that Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, you know, the Mets are paying from Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, they weren't the cheapest names at the deadline. I mean, their contracts were so big that the Mets picked up a fair amount of that, and they still were kind of expensive guys. Like, I think it's still going to be like $10 million uh, for the Astros, for, uh, for Verlander the rest of the way. So, Maybe uh, the Reds just didn't have that kind of budget in terms of real money. But Dylan Cease is not expensive yet. And that would have been a great way to line up is, you know, Aaron Savali's not expensive yet. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, you could do something at this deadline where you get, you know, years of con- c- control and uh, a player as a player that you can slot in. I think they were too focused on the fact that Hunter Green and Nicola Dolo are coming back and they just, you know, they just need to survive the 16, 15 games until Hunter Green comes back and then he's their big deadline acquisition. Dude, you can get Hunter Green and have another guy next to him. That would probably be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't only have to rely on the players <laughs> exactly, coming back yeah. from injuries. <laughs> We'll, we'll never know for sure the players they were in on, the guys that you know, just got away. Also, with the likes of, of Verlander and Scherzer, there were no trade clauses involved, too. So whether you know whether the Reds oh, could yeah. even Would they bring even, those players in, yeah. that's also part of the calculus for some of the more impactful pitchers that were out there, which I think made things a little bit more complicated uh, as well. What about teams that got better for the long haul? You know, Teams that weren't necessarily playing for now but teams that did things that you like. Is there anything that you think from a seller perspective really moves the needle for the future for any clubs that are not playing for this season? I wanted to hate the Mariners deadline. I really wanted to hate that move because it smacked so much of the Kendall Graven situation where they're a team that's improving and they, they, they traded a player that people liked and you know they were trying to buy and sell at the same time and they're just a little too fancy. I wanted to hate the Paul Seawall deal but I actually think it's good. And it's not because I think Johan, uh, Josh Rojas is, is going to be a great deal. I think he smells a little bit too much like Abraham Toro for me. But what I did like is Dominic Canzone is a real player. He is batting fifth tonight in their lineup. He is just going to go right into that lineup. I think he's at least a league average outfielder, which is not something they had 
a lot of, you know, they have one star, one hurt guy, and Teoscar Hernandez who's not there the next year. So I think they needed that, and they have been really good at producing bullpen arms. I think it was a pretty good return for a bullpen arm to get a prospect you don't know if he's going to be any good, someone who can be a utility guy for you now, and someone who can step into an outfield position right away. That's a lot for one year of, of Seawald. And I think generally some general managers overvalued years of control. So in this case, you know, just the fact that Paul Seawall had that extra year of control, they really gave up a, an average player for him. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I was looking at it and like, honestly, I thought that the Tigers, like this is where I thought maybe the Tigers would have had a big chance to kind of improve. I think the Royals did a good job kind of with what they had. Uh, we forget that they did deal Chapman before all of this like madness started. Uh, so I felt like you know, they did a, they did a pretty good job too, but by and large, there weren't that many like impact prospects moved because you look at the teams who have the top farm systems and you just didn't see a lot of that, right? Because we didn't get a Juan Soto trader, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner at the deadline kind of move. We just saw a lot of these smaller moves and I had multiple executives point out to me that people were obsessed with like scouting the rookie leagues this year. You saw a lot of like really young guys move. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but like 17 year old guys, guys who played in the Dominican summer league or, you know, like that was a little bit of a shift over what we've seen from previous years. So um, I think it was really hard to gauge. And I think a lot of that is, you know, there's not a whole lot of advanced analytics on the, on those kinds of guys. So it can be easier if you have a scout who thinks there's a lot of upside on a guy to pry him away from a team in some of these midseason deals you know it's becoming harder and harder because teams are holding on to their prospects so this was just such a a weird market you would have thought it would have been a seller's market uh but it really kind of turned into a little bit of a buyer's market there towards the end uh there was certainly a frenzy and a lot of these teams that were holding on to their players were like well wait what are we going to do with these guys like we have to get rid of them right so i don't think there were that many teams um when i go through and look at their farm systems like that I think did what the Nationals did last year, right? That catapulted themselves. There is uplink. one team, maybe the closest, the Mets. Yeah, and, and look the at closest. what they had to do. But they were to never do in a terrible. Oh, okay, they were, okay. They weren't at the very bottom, but they did the most in terms of adding uh, in adding prospects. They're the only one. They're the they only did. team that got a top sixty prospect off of Keith Law's list. See, so that just reinforces there just they, weren't a lot of top exactly. players. Exactly, I was, I was, I was looking at that while you were talking to to reinforce your point. Hundred percent. Like, it, I think there's there's prospect hugging. There's there's the the 2020 lost year. You know, there's some things going on there. Yeah. The the game is getting younger, and so we're using our prospect. The, the prospects are making the big leagues quicker. So you know, you 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 like for example, if you think. Oh, I'm trading this 18-year-old. I think in the past you might be like, oh, it's going to be like four years till he makes the big leagues. Good luck with that, dude. But now you can kind of be like, well, he's 18. We might throw him in double A next year. He might be, you know, he might taste the big leagues by the time he's 20, you know? So uh, I think we're seeing people be more aggressive in the minor leagues. And also that means hugging their prospects harder because, and, 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 and scouting rookie leagues, right? Because, you know, you kind of have to keep going younger and younger to get, you have to go get Tatis, right? The reason Tatis was traded was because he was a, a kid. He was he was in some short. He was in low A or something. Um, so you, everyone's looking for that that shields for Tatis trade now. Even Gleyber Torres, when Gleyber Torres was traded for Araldis Chapman, wasn't he in the lower minors and pretty young? Like you know, I, I think that the the that's the idea is to try and get a, the, the, this young guy that you scouted that's in rookie ball and you figured out that he's going to be good, but. 
Uh, I do like what the Mets did uh, in terms of selling. They went and just, you know, they decided they were going to buy prospects. And they spent $90 million on Max Scherzer and Justin <laughs> Verlander in the future. And they, I don't think that by math, uh, I want, I mentioned this earlier, by the math that's out there, they did not do that well. Um, because if you add up what they got, they got two 50 value prospects and a 45. By driveline, that should have cost them 65 to $70 million. But Hey, you know, 90 million instead of 70 million, they, they're the ones that got the best prospects at the tr trade deadline. Um, and so, you know, I think they did, they did it right for what they decided to do. And because of the luxury tax threshold that they're in, dumping some salary in the future does make a different sort of impact for them too, which is you know pretty bizarre. A good point by Andrew on the stream too. Jordan Alvarez, remember he was traded by the Dodgers for Josh Fields, right? Just like that Tatis James yeah. Shields trade, it it happens sometimes. So yeah, these, some of these trades that you think are are very small end up being significant in the long run. And I think you're right. I think the development path is shortening up a little bit it's not just the angels cruising players through the minor leagues at record pace it's other orgs that are doing this now uh, as well yeah what are your thoughts on the yankees deadline given where they're actually so at the weird. time that judge missed just yes. like their actual odds of going to the playoffs under 40 percent entering play today were they right to just kind of tweak the small things even though it's <laughs> It's not the kind of deadline that will make anybody happy in the Bronx. Yeah, odd. I mean, I wonder how much the last series or two affected them, right? Like how much losing to the Orioles at Camden Yards just before this, like kind of changed their plans. You know, they get back Aaron Judge. I think it was kind of like a shot in the arm for morale. And if they had gone out, maybe swept the Orioles or taken two out of three, if they would have felt like, hey, we're moving in the right direction. But I mean, they don't look any better, even with Judge returning. So I almost felt like they should sell. And I know there were rumors that they were going to end up selling some of their guys that were going to be free agents to be. We didn't really see any of that. Um, I thought they had a chance to be a wild card if they decided just to go in like total burn a down mode. Uh, but I think that they're feeling the pressure. They haven't won since 2009. Fans are getting upset. I think there was some pressure to kind of look like they were trying to improve, even though this, this is just like a flawed roster and there weren't a whole lot of spots for them to go out and improve. And we talked about this before. They didn't have a whole lot of guys to sell either. So they were just a weird team in general, I feel like, going into this deadline. Like, I didn't really expect much. But then when you saw the Bader wasn't in the lineup, like, I think there was, like, a potential of, like, ooh, maybe there's intrigue here. And then, you know, ultimately, it was just, like, a big shrug for me anyway. Yeah, two seemingly bullpen additions, Keenan Middleton from the White Sox and then Spencer Howard, who... Once upon a time, it looked like a guy with four pitches that were all pretty good. It just has not worked out for him in Texas after he was previously traded from the Phillies. So we'll see if the Yankees are able to you know, help turn things around with Spencer Howard or not. Uh, really strange thing, too, I just saw with the Luis Urias trade to Boston. He was optioned to AAA. I was convinced that he was going to just go and play on the big league roster after the trade, but they actually are sending him down to AAA Wooster. So... So the Red Sox did nothing to upgrade their big league roster. No, apparently not. I almost have okay. some sympathy for Brian Cashman in New York because I feel the pressure goes two ways. You have the pressure, you know, the pressure is to win and they've made the playoffs for six straight years. And so you kind of want to keep that streak alive and at least be able to say, we keep winning. We keep making the playoffs. We've been, we've been making good teams. 
but there's also this pressure in New York that's like that's not good enough, man. Like like we're not we're not happy yeah. with with you know losing in the ALDS or losing in the ALCS. Like we need better than that. And I think if you look at this roster, you say. Ah, if everything broke right, I could see them winning it all. Like they would just have to have like amazing health from Rodon. They'd have to like Luis Severino would have to find it again. Stanton would have to go on a tear. You know, like Volpe would have to take it to another level. Like everything would have to go right. And I think you might just look at it and be like, I don't think this is a championship winning team right now. And so you're stuck, you know, like we don't, even if we add a piece or two, we're not a championship winning team and we could go make the playoffs, but our fans are not going to be good enough with that. You know, so like, you know, I don't, I don't think that they saw a move that made sense either way. I, I had them buying Randall Grichuk and a righty reliever. I, I, you know, I guess I was half right. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think getting Randall yeah. Grichuk was going to change much uh, mathematically for this team. And we talked about the limited impact even of a starter like Lucas Giolito. That might be a, a one-win addition for the Angels. A right-handed hitting outfielder who doesn't even play every day is probably a, a quarter of a win, right? Which is just nothing. It's basically a, a rounding error in all of this. I think the strange thing for me with the Yankees continues to be Luis Severino. I thought he was going to be great this year and go into free agency primed for other big contract. And you know, Carlos Rodon's been hurt. I wonder how much of his struggles are just purely injury related and then how much of that over and off season can go away. How healthy can Carlos Rodon get between now and opening day 2024? Because this is year one of a six-year deal. They have to be thinking about the long game, both player and team in this instance. If the Yankees do fall further away from playoff contention over these next few weeks, maybe they would actually consider shutting him down and just saying, hey, let's just try to get you back to being the guy you were these past two seasons because that guy's electric and he's a difference maker. This, unfortunately, just hasn't worked out. You know, Stanton bouncing back, that could happen. Volpe being a little better, that could happen. That's a long list of things you need to make up ground in that division right now. So I think your your point is a, is a good one there, Eno. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great 
without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Uh, anything else that either of you expected to see that you didn't see that you were disappointed by or something that you thought, hey, this is a really smart idea. I'd like to see this team going in this direction. Uh, Britt, we'll throw it to you first. Yeah. Okay. So did anybody else, when they saw that Toronto had acquired Paul DeYoung, like, did anyone else think like, oh man, Bo Bichette's cooked. And then the report comes out that Bo Bichette has no structural damage. So I'm like, all right, well, Toronto's going to make a bunch more moves to probably add a lot more pieces here. And then they kind of like really didn't either. So I was, I were you guys confused by that? Because I was like, oh, this is insurance for Bichette. He's probably out for a while. I mean, maybe he is. They did say no structural damage and he's day to day. But if you're assuming that move is kind of in anticipation of, of losing Bichette, how much did Toronto get better? I mean, I agree with you, but I think that they, I'm just going to lump them in with the other conservative contenders. You know, I think they were like, you know, we don't want to mortgage our future. We're just going to add some pieces that make us a little better. I mean, I think Jordan Hicks, that was important because Jordan Romano is going to be out for two weeks. I think it's only going to be two weeks. And Paul DeYoung, that was important because even if Bo Bichette's only out for a week, they still need someone to play. And and in fact, Bo Bichette is rated pretty poorly defensively by the metrics. And Paul DeYoung is still a strong defender. And that team struggles a little bit against left-handers. So I'm not saying that Paul DeYoung and Bo Bichette are going to platoon. But I bet you they'll find a way to put Paul DeYoung in that lineup against lefties, even when Bo Bichette is back. So a little bit of, of you know, trying to make the team better. I, I, I would put them in just a sort of group of B minuses that the Dodgers and the Braves are in where they yeah. just, they didn't want to spend too much. They feel like they have a pretty good team. They feel like they're in it, but they don't think that acquiring one, you know, an expensive piece would really move the needle. So I, I, I understand them. Yes. The giants are a, a question mark for me because I mean, I think I understand it and maybe I expect it a little bit, but they did nothing. You can't, you can't, that edgy Pollock thing to me is a waiver claim. You cannot call that a trade. And so, you know, I expected them to try something, you know, try something smart, go, you know, try something smart where you're like, we're selling and we're buying and we're being, we're threading the needle and look at us. Didn't do that. You know, I, I, I thought yeah. like maybe buy low on Tim Anderson because, you know, you've seen the back of the baseball card, you know, it's one of the worst seasons of his career. But it's not that expensive, and you have money. Why not just get Tim Anderson? And if he is good, then he's different than any other player you have. You do not have a Tim Anderson out there. I mean, I'm right here. They do not have a Tim yeah. Anderson. I'm looking around. They are the slowest team in baseball. They do not have a Tim Anderson out there. So, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, it does make it hard when you have a, like a sort of mixy-matchy team. Um, even if you do go get like an A.J. Pollock because you needed a right-handed outfielder, and that makes your team a little better in your mind. It doesn't move the needle with the fans. It's not going to, the fans who have been coming back, they've been, it's been changing, then they've been winning and the, the fans are coming back. This is not going to move the needle with the fans. They haven't, they, the fans will be on the radio right now in San Francisco talking about how terrible this trade deadline was and why didn't they go get anybody. And I think it's, it's honestly kind of right, you know? Well, where do you guys stand on the Orioles? Because they, to me, were kind of a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up being Flaherty. 
and Shintaro Fujinami as a adept addition to the bullpen, but that's not that's just not what I expected. Like I I know you can make a case that in some instances the best move to make is to not make a move because the prices were bad, you couldn't line up, sure, that's fine. The Orioles had so many paths to getting a deal done, at least from the outside looking in. Mind blowing for me that they didn't get something more significant. They didn't do nothing, but it's a disappointment. It's a a C at best, right? It's not an F, but it's it's yeah. not great. And they were one of those teams that had so much momentum that yeah, maybe adding another reliever would have been a good idea. You can never have too many bullpen arms if you're gonna yeah. be a contending team and play in October. Do we have the do we have the Flaherty price? I saw three names roll by. It's two of their prospects, 16 and uh, 18, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think it's Credo uh, and, and uh, Rome, okay. who's a left-handy. Oh, well, yeah, I had them trading um, yeah. him. I'm surprised and, no, they Credo, couldn't do a little Credo better for that. Credo was, was blocked, so that kind of made sense. He's an infielder, and they've got a, a million and one infielders. He's been pretty good. But yeah, I thought that was a little bit of a high price for Jack Flaherty. Like, was that maybe an indication what prices were? Yeah, yeah. I I want to put the Orioles in the sort of B-minus contenders group, except that they have so many more prospects than everybody else. They seem to have they seem to have a better, healthier team in terms of the players that they've got and they're how old they are. Like they seem like they really like I, I mean, I don't know what the price for Cease was. They said it was astronomical, but we know what the price for Savali was. And even a Savali would have made sense for the Orioles, honestly, just to get a guy yeah. that would be there for two years that would, you know, be kind of the glue while you're trying to coach up everybody else. I think Savali would have been great for them. And, you know, I don't know what the Calmanzardo of the Orioles thing is, but if it was Joey Ortiz or something, like, I kind of might have preferred that. Send Joey Ortiz for yeah. for Aaron Savali over, you know, sending Drew Rahm and this other guy for for uh, Jack Flaherty, who's, like I said earlier, like, I think his shoulder is slow roasted. You know, I don't, I don't know what they're going to get out of him. Yeah. Yeah, I also feel like if you look at the Michael Lorenzen deal, and they could have beaten that, and I think Lorenzen has pitched better than Flaherty this season. There's no question. If you're going to go for a rental because you don't want to burn the farm, that's fine. And then, fine. He, then you, put him in the, you can put him in the pen, you can put him in the starting. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I know uh, this was something that Matt Gelb tweeted about. He's the Phillies beat writer for The Athletic. The workload for Lorenzen this season, 105 and two-thirds innings. It's the second highest total at the big league level of his career back in his rookie season he went 113 and a third i mean what are you worried about he's just gonna totally collapse or i mean yeah, you're fatigue, not protecting right? his he arm for the future months. you know you're like right you're not yeah. worried about like you know he's not a 22 year old that you need to coax through these innings i don't know isn't that kind of a good thing if he doesn't pitch that, that yeah innings? if he doesn't pitch that great you put him in the pen which we just we said the orioles might have a little bit of a need in the pen too so i don't yeah I, I, I thought like if they were just going to get a uh, kind of an okay starter like Flaherty, they were going to add one more bullpen arm, right? Like a high thrower guy. And then you would have been like, all right, I kind of get it. Um, but to me, yeah, I felt like it was disappointing. I felt like they were they were tepid, right? And I don't know what the market was. I don't know how hard they tried to get, you know, one of Seattle's controllable arms or cease or even the twins. I was surprised that the twins didn't kind of, you know, get close on, you know, Sonny Gray or, or Kenta Maeda so they can keep Dallas Keuchel. Um, but it, to me, I don't know the Orioles, like they weren't rumored in a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot of activity before they got Flaherty. You know, I I don't know. I think you're right. I think the twins deserve a little bit more ire because they're not going for the wild card. They're going for the division. 
which means, you know, yeah. that's a little bit more in the postseason in terms of guaranteed postseason income, in terms of, you know, what the postseason structure is like. You know, winning the division is a big deal, even if it's the, the third best division in your in your league. So, you know, yeah, doing something uh, it would have been better than nothing for the Twins, I think. Hey, I wonder how much they looked at their pitching and said, we could trade a starter and then be, you know, one thinner, or we could say, we've got a lot of guys that have missed time with arm injuries in this rotation let's keep everyone in case some guys break because mm-hmm. I could, I could see the case for that. I think one more bat would have made some sense, but I, I, I still look at this twins team. It looks better than most twins teams. We see this time of year, how much better, I guess that'll be up for debate and we'll, we'll see it maybe on display depending on how things play out uh, over the course uh, of these final two months. And I if think they, you're right. If they I think the you're right. There's a, there's some young players. Eduardo Julian is really, step forward now they're getting jorge polanco back it's you know i think the easiest thing to be would have been like hey get tommy fam um or you know get mark canha because you know righty outfield bat to uh to sort of caddy for walner or kepler would have been uh probably a good idea but um you know maybe they didn't like the price on that or maybe they just you know they say you know buxton you know is our righty bat and we just we just need him to uh to get going you know so yeah, yeah. You need Buxton to hit more. You need Carlos Correa to hit more. But is relying on that foolish? It's a little bit like the Padres thing, where if they made a couple small moves, people would still be mad they didn't make a big move. The, the big move the is fate, those guys playing better. <laughs> the fate of yeah. the 2023 Twins comes back to the stars hitting like stars. That will make a bigger impact than the fourth outfield fringe types they could have <laughs> right. added to the roster without hurting themselves in the future. So I think that's. If you're looking for some comfort as a Twins fan, I think it's that. And and I think it's reasonable. Yeah. I mean, Carlos Correa should be Carlos Correa the final two months of the season. Typical Correa. It'd be weird if he's not, as long as he's healthy, which is always a really big if. How about the Brewers? I didn't bring him up until the very end yeah. of the stream. <laughs> we couldn't get out of here without it. <laughs> I, was, I was prompted. It, Carlos Santana, Mark Canna. Andrew Chafin to the bull. I was actually surprised the D-backs moved Chafin. I just thought they needed enough yeah. relievers. They weren't going to do it, but they got a guy with options and Peter Strzelecki, someone who's cheap. So I guess that trade makes sense. Uh, I'm disappointed, Brandon. I'm disappointed because I thought the Brewers could make one more move. They didn't do it, but it's better than nothing. But this was sort of like the the typical, we're probably a playoff team sort of deadline, right? The atypical ones were mostly those teams in the AL West that we talked about earlier. So it's a passing grade. It's just not the kind of moves that you get that excited about if you're a fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with this as not a Brewers fan. I didn't expect them to go out and make some crazy splashy move. I mean, you guys hate Carlos Santana, so that's been well documented. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I went overboard. <laughs> you did, just, by the way. <laughs> I then looked up his defensive stats, and he's not nearly as terrible. Yeah, yes, I got that one wrong. Uh Okay. Anyway, and uh, I think Con. I look. I think they got two two solid players, two solid bats, and then also I, you know, I think getting another bullpen arm could help them as well. So yeah, Brandon Woodruff is the deadline acquisition for DVR. Somebody says, which is true. Uh, I think they're fine. DVR, I do. I don't lump them in like the underwhelming category by any means. They're as Eno said, they're in that solid BB minus group to me. They got better. They didn't do anything crazy, but. I don't think you should be upset as a fan. If you're a fan of the Brewers, you don't expect these blockbuster moves, I think, right? You don't expect them to get Justin Verlander. I, I think I wonder if you know. Uh, uh, we had a piece on this by Jason Stark about um, 
about why we didn't see so many uh, position players move this 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 this, uh, this trade deadline. I think partially was which position players were not locked up that were rentals. There weren't that many, and they weren't that high impact. So, what was the best position player that traded that was traded hands that the Brewers could have gotten? Because they they kind of needed position players most of all. Like who was the yeah. guy? Who did they miss on? What was the what was the best bat? Jake Berger. Because they got Santana, Josh Bell really wouldn't have fit. So you could make an argument that Josh Bell would have been slightly better than Carlos Santana. Jake but Berger would have been good for them, but do they have like an extra Jake Eater hanging around? Uh, maybe. But what about what about Candelario? Yeah, was that Candelario. a miss that they didn't get it? The Cubs, especially since they went to the Cubs. Yeah, do they have two guys similar to that? They got some pretty good Cubs. The, the Nats got a pretty decent return for Candelario, I thought. I bet you it was a decent prize for the, the few bats that were out there. But they weren't even in it at the end, though, because the like most serious teams were the Marlins, and then obviously the Cubs is what I was told on Candelario, so they weren't like really hmm. big on him. Um, maybe tertiary in the beginning. It, it felt like for a while the Marlins like kept getting second place in players, uh, but then they finally were able to make some moves, which is nice because I feel like we never talked. Have we even mentioned the Marlins in this hour? We did. I, I gave him some love for Jake Berger. Barely? I thought that was a, okay. I maybe when I was away. Yeah, yeah. We, we did give him some love um, for Jake okay. Berger. Um, because they were a buyer, they are having they a do? good season. You know, they traded I feel Cooper like... for oh yeah, Cooper for Bell. Bell. No, Segura for they Bell. They did Bell late. Yeah. And what was why did they trade? They traded Cooper because they didn't have a place for him. And they were it was another another waiver claim disguised it's... as a trade. <laughs> They got Ryan Weathers back, man. Come on. <laughs> Segura got Why DFA'd, did they get right? Ryan they Weathers back? What do they like about Ryan Weathers? Because they could. Because know. he's a because he's he pitches. He's he got pitches. he's got an arm. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got a healthy arm. That's and that's he has why. options, I guess. So. Yep, I, I, I like I like their deadline overall. I, it's nice to see the Marlins making moves, trying to get better, being one of those teams that always has the pitching. Maybe now they've got just enough on the offensive side, and they they get the benefit of Jazz Chisholm recently coming back too. If they could just keep Jazz healthy for these final two months, that'd be huge for them. They're battling the Giants, and the Giants did nothing, right? The Giants are who is ahead of them in the wild card race. You know, the Giants are the leader in the wild card race. They did not act like that. The D backs who are a game behind them did more. You know, you know who are your biggest three losers? The Giants, Giants, uh, Orioles. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. Is there somebody that should have sold Yankee? harder? Yankees, maybe. I mean, yeah. I think the Yankees are a loser. <laughs> yeah. Whether you think they should have bought or sold, they just I, no I, one's happy. I wonder if the White Sox shouldn't have the just. The Red Sox? Do, are we letting the Red Sox off the hook here? What did the Red Sox do? Somebody no, like texted me. They're they're they had a bad deadline. Yeah. Right. They also yeah. had a bad deadline, and I don't think we really tied that. tied for they're third. Red Sox years. and Yankees. <laughs> what a world! Always together. <laughs> I actually, I, I think the the other team we didn't talk a lot about is the Cardinals. I like what they did. I I, I, I think the the player that I have been most impressed by, like learning more about some of the prospects that have moved, is Takoa Roby, who they got from uh, the Rangers. Really, really good arm. You know, possibly four average or better pitches with command. Already at Double A, they managed to get Double A guys, Double uh, A arms, right? I mean, that's what they needed. They needed they need arms. They needed guys who could step in soon, and that's what they got. And I think there might be some Cardinals fans who are, are disappointed to see that the the whole band in the outfield is still together. That you know Tyler O'Neill didn't get moved, Dylan Carlson didn't get moved. They have time. They could do it in the winter. You don't have to make the deal right now. And 
And what you're hoping is Tyler O'Neill plays better over the next couple of months. I mean, that's what they said publicly was you don't want to sell low. So we're going to let, hope that he plays better over the next couple of months and we can uh, trade him for more in the offseason. Still possible because you still have that year of command left. I wonder if we'll see Mason win before the end of the season for the Cardinals, but that's a topic for another day. We are going to sign off. Thanks to all of you who watched live for chiming in with some comments and questions along the way. You can find us on Twitter. Britt is at Britt underscore Giroli. Eno is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Nope, that's the wrong one. <laughs> You've always got the green light here. <laughs> green light As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.